My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. My Penn State classroom is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. The available AKG 36-speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. For listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steven Jodran. Joining me today is Armand Kafai and Jake Watroba. And on today's episode, yes, we praise the U.S. men's national team, but we still give out our questions as we continue our chat with the Gold Cup. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter at Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Make sure you subscribe to whichever podcast platform you're listening to and leave us a five-star review. Now, fellas, Jake and Armand, one of you is rested and the other one is very much annoyed. How we doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm the one that's well rested after, you know, watching so much soccer this past week. So I'm revived. I'm ready to go. Let's get another week of soccer in. I'm grumpy. <laughs> well, there you go. Jake's grumpy. This should make it for a good show. See how short you are with the U.S. I started. I team. started the keto diet today, so I'm I'm very hungry right now. I'm a little hangry actually. Hangry. Ooh, Armand, did you hear that? See what what takes Jake has coming our way. But let's talk about this six nail thumping of Trinidad Tobago in the second game of the group stage. Now, Jesse Zardes, Erlon with a brace, Pulisic, a goal and two assists. Paul Ariola with another one of his own. Jordan Morris, two assists off the bench. Boy, seemed like uh, this U.S. men's national team was ready. In fact, Christian Pulisic had a chip on his shoulder. Let's see what he had to say post-match. Christian, just a perfect night for you guys during the next round. How would you describe the overall performance of the team? Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, turning out, you know, they, they set up really well in the first half, and it was tough to break them down. And, uh, I mean, after we got that one goal, you know, in halftime we said, you know, just keep going and going, and uh, eventually uh, the goal started to flow. I know it's a different competition for you guys, but did it feel special? Did it feel different that it was of this magnitude, the goal scoring and against Trinidad? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I didn't like to say it, but I definitely had a little chip on my shoulder <laughs> today. So uh, I, I hope you guys could see that today. Well, Armand, Christian Pulisic definitely shined out in front of a whopping 23,921 at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. But it was really a tale of two halves, no? I think you you said it was a little... It's not necessarily what we think when it comes to the tale of two halves regarding this U.S. men's national team. I mean, it was a really slow first half, right? It looked like they were creating in that first 15 minutes. It was really strong, but then it kind of died down. Trinidad kind of regained possession and started kind of dictating the game, slowing it down a little bit, gaining opportunities. But once it hit that second half, after, I think it wasn't like the 50 or 55th minute, 
the U.S. just started turning it up a notch. And it was more in terms of, you know, Pulisic making darting runs from the middle, McKinney making sick passes to Paul Ariola, Tyler Boyd uh, shooting a shot at every single chance he got. It's pretty incredible to see a guy just yeah, yeah, for the U.S. national team, you know, create his own shot. I, I feel like I saw that on Twitter. He, he's he's an interesting case. But, I mean, it kind of just like after a little bit, the floodgates started to open up. And this is a performance we want to see against uh, Guyana. I, I, I think I thought it was a great performance in the second half. I didn't think it was that bad a performance in the first half, but a lot of people disagree with me. So I guess it might have been that bad. I'm not sure. But I thought it was a stronger performance from the U.S. It's something we expect against a team like Trinidad. You know, Armand, it's, it's funny you say you didn't think the first half was that bad because after watching that first half, yes, they were up one nothing uh, with that late goal by Aaron Long. But I, I didn't feel there was there was too much to take away in terms of you know positive things the U.S. did. And I want to read a tweet from Ives Galarsep. He's a correspondent for Goal.com. This is a tweet from halftime. Long's goal gives the USA the lead and distracts from what was an atrocious 45 minutes of soccer. It's definitely worrisome the U.S. men's national team couldn't better capitalize on, was, on what was a woeful effort by Trinidad. Here's to an improved second half a la Guyana and kind of some foreshadowing there at the end of that tweet because we did see an improved effort in the second half. And let's face it, they, they steamrolled Trinidad and Tobago in that second half. There's, there's no other way to, to put it. And Stephen or Armand, one of you, one of you two can answer this. What was the turning point in that second half for you guys? Because it, it seemed like they came out a little a little slow for the first five or ten minutes. And then something something happened because from about the 55th or 60th minute on, they looked to be a completely different side. I mean, is it your favorite player coming on? Would that be Jordan Morris? Because I actually yeah. think that is. And I don't know if I'm crazy to, to suggest I, that. I, I, don't think, Boyd, I don't think you're crazy. Hold on a second. Let me, let me finish here. Because Tyler Boyd up to that point, looked to be the best player in the pitch for the U.S. And I thought it was a, l- a little bit of a head-scratch when Burhalter subbed him off for Morris. But when Morris came on, I mean, that was when the onslaught of the five-goal second half began there. I would say that, and I also say, I would say Pulisic as well. Pulisic receiving the ball, and he became a playmaker that game. Exactly. That game, he became a playmaker. And, you know, for all the first half, I don't know if I'd say Pulisic was a playmaker, but it was more of Bradley. Pulisic became the playmaker, finding Ariola, combining, drifting. And I actually, I thought at one point Tyler Boyd was getting in the same areas as Pulisic a little too much with his drifting around. Morris stuck to his side um, as, as a winger and didn't roam. And it, it, gave, it gave more room for McKenney to push up as well. And Pulisic, Pulisic was the creator and the engine uh, during that match. And I think that's what Burhalter wants to see. And that's the role that he wants to see Pulisic in. Be that creative, dynamic midfielder and just give him a free roam to do anything, basically, in that middle. I, I thought it was Pulisic. I think, Steven, you might agree with me on this one. Yeah, no, I think he became the player that we want him to be. He became the in- most important player on the pitch. And, I mean, look, we already played it. He, he played with a chip on his shoulder. And even during the friendlies in the fall against Guyana, which Jake, you and I, criticized him last week for it was like he kind of disappeared but here he for some reason and I'm sure it has to go back to that loss where he somewhat felt responsible for not getting the U.S. men's national team to qualify for the 2018 World Cup he said it he had a chip on his shoulder so suddenly when Christian Pulisic 
cranks up and, and, and turns the gears, he is the most dominant player on on the pitch for the Americans, and and it shows and illustrates why Chelsea paid the price that they paid for his services. Here's here's what's also telling. Here's what Greg Berhalter talked about regarding changes in the second half. I think it was the first half set up the second half pretty nicely. We wanted to have a high tempo. We wanted to keep them moving. Um, we, we felt that um, our fitness could have an effect on them. And then, you know, a slight adjustment that we made in the second half was um, was dropping our right winger down into the space. They were man-orientated in the midfield. We needed to create an extra man. And when we dropped the midfielder down, um, it had a, a positive effect on the match. Um, we moved our right back up to keep um, Cato from tr- transitioning, and it pinned him back, but then it created space in um, in the midfield. Hey, Andrew. Armand, Greg Berhalter there talks about dropping a right winger into the midfield for the second half. Do you think that's also part of the changes that he made in putting more bodies in midfield, allowing that progression and that style to build up in the second half that we saw? No, I did see that. I did see that. Specifically, uh, I actually have written down my notes. I thought Nick Lima was fantastic. And Nick Lima was able to be involved in the play because of that winger kind of tucking in a little bit. And, you know, I don't know if you guys could hear on the Fox audio, you could hear a lot of Berhalter yelling at Tyler to drift in a little bit, as in, like, no, stay low, stay low. Like, where are you doing? Like, you could, you could hear it. Uh, through the audio, and I think that did help because you they started combining and then they started overloading uh, those sides. Even on the last goal, even when Lima was out, Reggie Cannon was open in space to whip in the ball to McKenney, who had the shot that ended up getting knocked in by Aaron Long. It did help. It did help. And on that topic, I know Jake wanted to touch upon it a little bit as well. I thought Nick Lima was fantastic. At right back, and you know, when you move the midfielder a little bit into the middle, the winger to the middle, it opened up that space for Lima. But I thought he did his job well. And you know what? I'm here to say it. This might be an overreaction. I don't care. With how Nick Lima has played uh, throughout these matches, you know what? I think we should get rid of this Tyler Adams at right back experiment. I think that needs to end. Done. Forget it. Have Nick Lima be that right back and put Adams in as that six. And go on from there. Uh, I, 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 Adams is best fitting at the sixth role. Right back, uh, not really. I think Lima showed that he can do that on a pretty competent level. We're going to see more, obviously, when they play better opponents in the Gold Cup. But I thought Lima did a really good job. And he's continued to do a really good job instead of, you know, kind of like giving an opportunity for someone else to take a spot. Armand, I want to ask you this about Nick Lima. I think we can all agree on this show that Tim Ream appears to be the weak link in, in the back line there. Agreed, agreed. Why can't Nick Lima, if Tyler Adams comes back and he's going to stay at right back, why can't Nick Lima play left back where Tim Ream is currently playing? This is a, I, I, this is a, 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 a serious question I have, and I'm not sure if this is a dumb question tactically, but I just watch Nick Lima and you compare him to Tim Ream, and Nick Lima just seems like such such a better player than Tim Ream does right now. Tim, I mean, it feels like every match Tim Ream makes one massive mistake. So I guess I'd be curious to see, can Nick Lima shift over and, and be a left back? You know, Jake, I don't think you're the only person to think that. I have seen some tweets on Twitter from other writers saying Nick Lima has played left back for the San Jose Earthquakes, right? I, 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 I can see that. I just... 
and honestly, honestly, Greg Berhalter could shift from uh, from his formation, you know, having the left back tuck in to be a center back, maybe have the, the left back be more of an actual left back and actually provide. Lima can play that role, I feel like. He has for earthquakes with Tommy Thompson playing right back. And you know what? If he is so keen, if Berhalter is so keen at Adams playing right back, Jake, I think you're bringing up a really good point. Reem looked like the only weak link, to be honest with you, in on that team. And it, his his role is because Reem can play center back as well. That's why he's in that role, whatever. But I do wonder if instead of that, you have Lima, who can maybe tuck in, just be a little bit better, a little bit younger. I think it would be a good move. But I think the number one move, I, I just don't agree with Tyler Adams. And I actually was a fan of Tyler Adams being a right back. I just don't agree with it anymore. I think his best move is a six. He plays six in one of the best leagues in the world. He plays six for the best teams in the Bundesliga. Why can't he play that for the United States? And why are we accommodating for a Michael Bradley and Will Trapp? They're great players. Don't get me wrong. Well, maybe Bradley, not Will Trapp. But why are we accommodating for them? We have a world-class player at the six. It, it doesn't make sense. And I think Lima's making the case saying, hey, look, I can play right back. You don't need Adams to play there. Why don't you push Adams into the middle, have him cover all that ground like Bradley does. And plus, he's probably better. And sorry for, you know, rambling on, but I think Bradley has regressed. Uh, it looks like his decision-making is kind of taking a step back. He's not finding the, the pass as quick enough. He's kind of running into spaces that, you know, aren't aren't there. Like, it, it's just weird spatial awareness. You get some clips, just runs into Pulisic. Is this, you know, like, is this the last we it. see of Bradley, you think, with the national I, I don't, team? I don't think so. And I think it should be as a starter if Adams is healthy. I think so he's be. like a Carly Lloyd with the U.S. women's national team doing it with the men's national team. Let's not compare a goat to Michael Bradley, okay? I think, think Carly Lloyd is, is better. Carly Lloyd could be starting, and it would be completely okay. Yeah, well, Jake, line of the day goes to you there. Listeners at Unksam Soccer Pie with your thoughts. No, but I think my point being is, do you not think Bradley could be that player off the bench to come in to seal a one nil victory in the dying fifteen minutes of a knockout game? Not necessarily in the Gold Cup, but say the twenty twenty two World Cup. Or is he too old by that point? He's gone. He could do that. I think I, I don't know about you, Jake, but I think he could be in that role to close out a game. I just don't like seeing him when there's a better option in the pool. Right, but Carly Lloyd is somewhat doing that. I know she can start, but you could also make the argument that... Now, look, in the grand scheme of things, Carly Lloyd is way more important on the top 10 list than Michael Bradley is. But my point is being the the player's role, not comparing their talent level. I'm I'm talking about their their role in their current squad. And, And Carly Lloyd has that mixture of becoming an important sub or could be a starter. Bradley is starting, but I think he'd be better off being an important sub. But due to injuries right now, he's in the lineup. You know, I I just Googled Michael Bradley's age just now. And at the end of the 2022 World Cup, I'm doing the math right in my head. Michael Bradley will be 34 years old. That's old. Do you really want one of your starters, one of the, one of the guys you lean on the most? To be a 34-year-old playing in MLS? No, not not at all. It's not, it's not, like, it's not like he's a 34-year-old play at Barcelona or playing in one of the top leagues in the world. It's, it's, I mean, I he 
And this gets back to Armand's point about Tyler Adams playing number six. You can't, I don't think you can rely on Michael Bradley after this gold cup. Guys, I think this, I think this is Michael Bradley's swan song with the U S men's national I, team. I agree, Jake. And I think the silver lining with Tyler Adams injury is the fact that we find Lima can play the position and Tyler Adams can actually go play the position that he's best at. But here's my problem. Here's my problem though. <laughs> with moving Tyler Adams to number six, and I get it, that's his best position, you're then left with Tim Ream back at at, at left back again. And that's a, that's a huge issue. I'm sorry. I, well, that I mean, might be... I mean, I mean look, it, look, if he's like... If he's really in, insistent on, you know, playing that left back as like a center back role, why does he just play a center, like another center back at that left back role? Like a Matt Miazga? Like a Miazga... Or something along those lines. Like I understand Rima's experience at left back, but in Burhalter's system, while we clearly see it, they're a left back almost in like name only. It's not like he's a left back in positioning or anything. He shifts, they always shift in into the middle. I feel like that with the way Lima's playing, now I might be overrating the way Nick Lima's playing in the game against Trinidad, but I but I think I've seen it in the performances he had as well. I think he's been pretty good. And plus, don't forget. Yedlin might be back at right back as well. Why? I like. I think it's time to move on from his time at Adams at right back experiment. Throw him in the middle, and you can figure out, or maybe just go with a three back line. Right. I don't know. Like there, there, there are solutions to the problem of having a weak left back pool, and that doesn't involve Tyler Adams playing right back. And it doesn't involve exactly doesn't involve Tyler Adams playing right back. And look, if Adams the six. He can cover for whatever the left back's mistake is because he's so good at covering ground. I don't know, man. To me, it's a little, it's a little baffling at the way they. That I, I just don't get why he's insisting on this. Like, no one else sees it except Greg. I used to, I used to be on side. I was like, yeah, let's see him play right back. Like, yeah, it's good for him. Nah, man. Nah, I'm over it. You're out. I've been over it. At I'm out. Monk, Sam Soccer Pod at Armaka Five. Listeners, don't worry. We're gonna get to the question of the day in the final five minutes, but. Jake, we talked a lot about Armand's main point regarding the U.S. men's national team, and I think you and I are somewhat similar regarding our overall takeaway from this performance versus Trinidad Tobago. And I'm going to go first here. I, I, yes, in two games, they've scored 10 goals, haven't allowed anything, but they've also played only Guyana and Trinidad. And we did criticize them, and we have to be fair, they played well, especially in that second half against Trinidad. But my biggest takeaway is this should be kind of what the outcome is when you're playing the 177th ranked team and a team that hasn't scored since September. So hold the horses. And to me, it's a little baffling that there's some people out there in the press. For example, Andy Edwards of NBC Sports Three things we've learned from the U.S. men's national team win. And one of his points is it's not actually about winning the Gold Cup. Quote, the number of times we have to remind ourselves of the following over the next month is perhaps infinite. The results matter very little right now. It's about the performances and the partnership being cultivated with the 2022 World Cup in mind. And I'm like, wait a minute. The goal here is to win the Gold Cup. I, I don't care for this type of talk. This is a major tournament. This is the U.S. men's national team. They need to have the pressure to go out and win this cup. Because if we sit there and go, oh, it's about the performances and the partnerships. 
the takeaways from Guyana and the takeaway from Trinidad and Tobago are completely mixed. So you're still at square one. You don't know what this U.S. men's national team is. It's a progression, but it should be a progression to the cup. And I don't think we should sit here as part of the media and sit there about, oh, it's all about performances and partnership. He goes on to say, would it be nice to regain the CONCACAF crown and lift the gold cup in a couple weeks time? Not really, but sure. Wait a minute. Is this really good commentary? Sitting here going, well, it's not really about winning the gold cup. I'm pretty sure it's pretty damn important to Mexico. Pretty sure Costa Rica would like to lift the cup. You don't think the players with the U.S. men's national team would care to lift the cup? What do you think it would do for the federation and for the players and the confidence in the fan base and what Greg Berhalter is? It absolutely has to be right now in the next three weeks about winning the gold cup. If not, then why are we playing sports? What's the point of watching? To sit here and talk about l- draws and losses and, oh my god, did you see that one touch passing? No, it's ridiculous. You're in it to win. Steven, you you are 100% correct here in your in your ramblings, in your rant. That just this annoyed is 100% me. About, it, it should annoy you. It should annoy you. Because, first of all, this federation needs all the positive, at least on the men's side, needs all the positivity it can get right now. And... By saying that, well, we don't really need to win the gold cup. That's fine. Let's just let's just develop some chemistry. Let's just. What's the point of hosting the damn cup and playing in it? Then just play a bunch of friendlies in six weeks. Well, they always host the gold cup, but that's besides the point. Well, yeah, they need to. This team needs some momentum. It needs a win at its back to start feeling good good about itself. And winning the gold cup would go a long, long, long way for not only the players. Not only the coaching staff, not only the people at the top of the federation, they, they just – the fans, this would go along with the fans too winning the Gold Cup is saying, hey, you know, we, we, we didn't qualify for Russia, but, you know, we got back on that horse and we, we, got a, we got some hardware the next year. Granted, it's the Gold Cup. But yeah, I think it's completely asinine to suggest that winning is not the most important thing in, in this tournament. Why play sports? You got to win, baby. You got to win, baby. Like, I mean, come on. The, the Jamaican national team is sitting here saying this is our best chance to win the Gold Cup. And they're and like, you don't see, like, that's a small country who's no, saying I, our, I, our goal I, is to win the Gold Cup. And that, granted, Greg Berhalter, you know, obviously their goal is to win the Gold Cup, although you might read some of his statements and he doesn't sound as like, it, it isn't like he's placing those expectations on his players. But like Steven said, every country in this tournament's goal is to win. It's not about, well, let's just uh, try hard and have fun. You think <laughs> England's. England at the the Nation Leagues Cup, whatever it's called, really thought there and like, oh, this is in preparation for 2022 or Portugal. Oh, no, not even for 2022, for the European Championships next summer. You really think it, that was the, the point of Holland or Switzerland was to sit there and make sure they have good chemistry leading up into the competition next summer? Hell no. If the U.S. men's national team has the mindset to sit there and go like, wow, it's really about building chemistry and friendship and brotherhood, blah, blah, blah. We'd sit there and mock them. What did Christian Pulisic say post-match? I had a chip on my shoulder. I needed to prove something. And boy, did he ever. But if we're going to sit here and and talk about sports and not want to win silverware, then you're in the wrong business, my friend. Let me uh, let me tell you this. I feel like we're a little almost – it's a very – I don't know if the word entitled is the right word, but I, on Thursday, 
I went and I watched Gold Cup. I watched Costa Rica play Bermuda. Bermuda, small country, 70,000, put on easily one of the best efforts I've ever uh, I've seen for a such a small side against Costa Rica. And you know what the players said? The players didn't say, oh, we're here for fun. They said, we want to showcase our skills so we could get some players playing full-time in full-time leagues because we know we're good enough. We know we're good. And we're going to go and we're going to go get wins and we're going to go try and win. They're not here just to, uh, you know, sit there and, you know, okay, we're here, yay. Now we get to play a couple games, have fun. No, they're getting ready. They're getting ready for Nations League. Now, don't forget, CONCACAF is having their own Nations League as well. So the U.S. Mm-hmm. will be playing Canada and Cuba. The, the, it's it's not just that. For some of these countries, it means more. And if we're not saying the United States doesn't mean anything to us, then, then like you said, why are we playing these? Why are we playing these? But we shouldn't get caught up in that comment as much. As much as I guess we should I guess, start looking ahead to see if the U.S. the U.S. and Panama, because that should be a very intriguing game that I won't be able to watch again because they have MLS games at the same yeah, time that, as the U.S. men's to, national that team That has to game. make you be one thrilled man. Yeah, so I have to watch the game today. I have to probably watch the game Thursday, which, by the way, that makes absolutely no sense. It's a joke that they have your midweek... Question of the day at Unc Sam Soccer Pod, 12 seconds each. Is the U.S. men's national team an easy team to root for? Yes, because they're, they're, they're underdogs. Uh, no, I don't think they are. I don't think they embrace that underdog mentality. There, there's just something missing with this team. I don't know if it's heart. I don't know if it's personality. I don't know if it's style of play. But for me, they're not a team that I gravitate towards. I want them to win, but... I don't have this emotional. Attachment. I need. I need some more pride. I need more pride from the players that it means something, w- and just to to besides Christian Pulix to know that when they represent the country, they're representing everybody in the country, and it means something for them, and they want to move the needle forward for the sport. I, I'm waiting for for that moment, and I just haven't gotten it. I want to read off a couple quick fun facts here before we wrap up today's show. Jossie Zardes and Aaron Long became the first two players for the U.S. men's national team to score a brace since June 15, 2008, versus Barbados. Saturday's win versus Trinidad was the largest margin of victory in gold in the Gold Cup in U.S. men's national team history. And with goals in the 63rd and 69th minutes, Jossie Zardes tallied his second career brace and took his all-time total to 10. Zardes has a team-leading four goals in 2019 and three in his last two matches. Jossie Zardes, my pick for most key player <laughs> heading into uh, the 20 cycle. Here's what uh, Jossie had to say post-game. What a night. Congratulations. You're officially in the next round. How would you describe the overall performance of the U.S.? Uh, I think it was an excellent performance, you know. Um, we were elite today. We executed our game plan. And um, yeah, that's momentum going into the next round. Last time we met, you were talking about the responsibility of goal scoring. You got a brace. You almost got the hat trick. What is your take on what you did in the pitch? Yeah, you know, um, I just tried to finish every opportunity I, I got uh, during the game. And, you know, all I can do is progress as a player and just get better each and every single opportunity. All right, fellas. Jesse Sardis had himself a game. Isn't it funny that against Guyana, he seemed terrible and now against Trinidad Tobago he's so much better 
It's not funny. He's awesome, bro. He's Jake's favorite player. <laughs> yeah, but that's the funny I, part. It's, it's funny to player. us. Jake, are you going to write him an apology letter? I, I, I told you guys he would be a key member of this national team for the 2020. You said he'd be the most important person, right, for the cycle, yeah? I mean, you tell me who's going to play striker in four years. You show me the striker. All right, Josh Sargent, come up. He's not oh. up, though. Oh. Timothy Weah? No? Nah. Nah, we're running Sargent. All right, next match is against Panama. Children's Mercy Park, Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Ooh, another late start. We'll be interested to see what Greg Berhalter does, whether or not he makes any changes, who he rests. And uh, they have the goal difference advantage. So, U.S., we'll see what they have, or we'll see what mindset they have against a tougher opponent. Anyway, listeners, question of the day. Do you find the U.S. men's national team an easy team to root for? Are they a likable team? At Unc Sam Soccer Pod, at Amakafai, at Jake Watroba, at Steven Jodrand. Come back tomorrow, rest of the week. We got episodes every day of the week. So, U.S. women's, U.S. men's, a special interview. Oh, and by the way, we'll be tracking some MLS. Until next time. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.